I do not buy dreams. I sell them. Welcome to the Flagrant Take Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Johnson, and with me today, uh, the first time of the new incarnation of the Flagrant Take Podcast, for those who have been listening for the past few years, he's been a very frequent guest and contributor, my brother, Mr. Princinetti. How we doing, sir? I'm good. How about yourself, sir? Doing very well, doing very well. And you are fresh off of Miami where I believe you were putting the finishing touches on your, your first full-length project? For your first full-length album, we was down there just catching the energy. Like, it, it's, you know, when you... It was me, one of my producers, uh, my manager, and it was like, of course, they came from Ohio. I came from Atlanta. So it was like just the energy and the, 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 the vibe. I hate that word, but it was different. And it was like, we caught, a, we caught a creative pocket that I had never been in where we just started cranking songs out. Right. Was this any, in regards to having this many individuals around, does it alter your creative process? Not necessarily that many, because it wasn't that many people. Like, it was only four of us total. Gotcha. But actually, more, more than that, actually, is um, a detriment for me, because it's like, I can't stay focused. But now it was just like, Literally, like the 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 feeling of unlimited possibilities while we was down there, like it was crazy. And that's what I wanted to get. Appreciate it. And that's what I wanted to get into a little bit because obviously you're from Cincinnati. You currently reside in Atlanta, but to be in Miami, do you start to take on the environment in which you're recording in, and is that reflected in your music? To an extent, I mean it's just. Whenever you're in a different environment, you think differently. So, um, the songs came out, you know, it's a, it was like, you know, it was a little more of a bravado, or it was a little more, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just a different space that I was in, and it was a different headspace. So, from there, it was like, it's something I'm going to keep going. Like, if I'm, at, whenever I'm like, the next time I go to LA, I'm going to probably do the same thing. Got you. Now, I've been, I've had the privilege of being able to hear some of the work, and I don't want to give anything away. Um, but when you are putting together your songs and structuring the, you know, the album, um, what type of cohesion are you looking for from song to song? Um, it's actually, mine is actually backwards because I just try to figure out, like, we'll put on a beat or he'll, or if I'm with like acts or people that know Mama Amy Evans. If he's making a beat, it just all depends on how we feel literally in that moment. And then it's like once I have the arrangement of songs, it's like from there I try to figure out if those pieces fit into a project. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I, knowing enough marketing, I can come up with a, like, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, okay. One of the initial ideas was because it wasn't the most cohesion. So it was just but a bunch of music with big sounds. So that's why I was like, okay, it sounded like a bunch of singles. And then from there, that's where the title of Speed Dating came. Because it wasn't like one particular story that I was telling. It was just an arrangement of music that I was just feeling at the time. I was like, I don't like making quote-unquote album fillers or just telling stories just for the sake of trying to stay in a certain pocket. So I actually do it quite backwards. Understood. Now... 
for your sound, how would you describe it to somebody who's unfamiliar with it? Um, this was an easy question, I guess, pre-2010, before sound started merging. How so? But, and how, maybe... Because, because before the internet wave, it was like you had East Coast producers, you had Down South producers, you had a certain wave and a certain sound. But when you hear 2 chains on a mustard beat, or when you hear everybody remaking something with Hitmaker, it's not necessarily a particular sound anymore. Um, I worked with a lot of the same producer. Um, his name's M80. I worked with a lot of him. I think it's, in regards to my sound, I guess it's, it's hard to explain it. Like I, have, like, I have bigger sounds. It's not just the typical rap shit, even though I can rap with the best of them. But it's just, honestly, it's like some of the songs are more catered to the simple listener. Some songs are storytelling. So it's, I would have to honestly just tell them, I would have to honestly just play it to paint the picture. Understood. Now, you know, in speaking with that, you know, the fact that you do have a multitude of sounds and you, you find yourself to be proficient in many, you know, many different sounds. I don't think there's a sound I, I can see you sampling and not, you know, feeling like you would be able to excel at what, um. You know, what What would you say is the most comfortable pocket in which you rap in? To women. Okay. Okay, and now is that based off of your earlier influences? And did yeah. that help kind of mold yeah, how you wanted favorite, to craft yourself? Yeah, because for, yeah, for people that know me, they know my favorite, two of my favorite rappers ever are Fabulous and Nelly. Right. And clearly that's the pocket that they've excelled in. In different ways, completely, but they that's, you know, and then I just always knew that I'm selling the women more than I'm selling the men, and women were always more receptive, so it was like, I'm going to talk to them, and at the end of the day, the men going to follow anyway, so yeah, that's that's the easy route for me, that I can always make a song catering to women. And is that just based off of the fact that women are primarily the consumers of hip-hop? That, and then un 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 unknowingly most of the things men do are catered to women anyway I just figured that out and just put it into my music right like so yeah it's, it's pretty it's and it's when it comes to a lot of things it's like the same way I try when I when I think about selling anything I think about the woman being the consumer because men are going to follow men are going to either follow what the women are doing or do whatever it takes to get the woman's attention anyway so no disrespect to them, but I'm going to go with the primary first, which is would be women. Absolutely. Now, with that said, you know, for somebody who, you know, is is in a relationship, which not all rap artists ever admit to, and obviously you're a father as well, has it changed as far as the subject matter in which you cover or the way in which no. you do speak to the women? No. I mean, at the end of the day, I have a past. And at the end of the day, I had to bag her. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's not, no, not necessarily. It's just, I mean, every song is a story of something that occurred. Rather, it had been, it might have been something that occurred more recently than others. But then even, like, in the new records, I mentioned, yeah, I might meet a chick. I still got to bring her home to my wife. Yeah. Like, not necessarily that I'm married, but you get the point. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, it's just... You just got to be creative in how you put it to still make it the truth. But it doesn't necessarily have to be something that happened yesterday. 
Right. And, and, and I guess that's, you know, bringing it to a larger topic because I remember being there um, March of last year at NKU when you, you know, the for somebody like myself who's known you since middle school and knowing that Nelly was an idol of yours, somebody you just mentioned as well, and you had the op- opportunity to perform with him. And, you know, for me having that opportunity to be there and my son was able to be there for part of the day and, um, you know, just just seeing this culmination of something that, you know, I saw basically take place back in 1998 is when it had started in regards to our friendship. Um, you know, seeing you perform and seeing Prince and Natty on stage and then, you know, after the show when you're getting the opportunity to meet and greet with fans and you're actually introducing yourself by your government name, you know, Alvin. I, You know, for me, I wonder, as a creative, is there a... What's the dichotomy between Alvin Triggs Jr. and Prince and Natty? I mean, for me, it's the same person. It's just Prince and Natty times 10. Okay. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not a, that much of a difference in me. Like, because at the end of the day, Prince and Natty's writing what Alvin's experiences. Right. So it's like, for the people that's like, personally, I know for myself, I want to sell more of myself than just the artist, because that's where you would sell anyway. Right. For the people that get to know me as the person, it's not just when I get on stage for 20 minutes or whatever, because yeah, you might have known me in that 20 minutes, but most of my life, I'm Alvin and I'm a father and, and, and you know, and I'm a father and the man of my household and all of that. So I have to be that I don't want to be the fake or just too much uh, and too much of the caricature of myself and not myself gotcha. so for the for a lot of people know Prince but it's like it took it took me growing up to be comfortable with being Alvin like a hundred percent like you know what I'm saying the good and the bad that come with that for people that know I'm named after my father and the different things that me and him have been through so it's like just opening up to tell more of that so that's where it's like, yeah, I'm Alvin. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, it's not that it's not that different. I just might have an extra chain on. Yeah, and that's interesting you mentioned that because that's another thing we share in common, right? This, you know, at times volatile and, and untraditional relationship with our with our fathers, but yet we also carry their names. And, you right. know, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, you know, once you, you find yourself in your career path and you start to build this momentum when you hear that name, I mean, quite frankly, even though I'm the third Fred Richard Johnson in my family, when you say that name, I only think of me now. Like, I don't think right. about the history with the name or anything that might come with the baggage of that. Like, and when I say that, I don't mean any disrespect to to my grandfather, to, you know, to my father. I don't mean any disrespect to that. But it's like now we're at the point where we're pretty much charting our own path. We're building our own legacy, for lack of a better term. Very correct. Um, when it comes to the like, and then with that, we're older now, so we've understood our own path, whereas in we were probably, unfortunately, not judged, but looked at in our father's way. Like, I'm not sure 100%, because I remember me and your your own again off again with your father. But with my father in Cincinnati, like, in the early 2000s, if you said our name, they knew him. So it was like, I separated myself from that just because of the different things that he had going on. True. Whereas then those things kind of died down and I built my own, my own lane. And like you said, my own legacy to where it's like, okay, I can still, 
I can be proud of the name that I have, but when you're a teenager and they be like, are you trans, son? Or it was, you ain't want to hear that shit. Which, you know, for the record, for those who don't know, I mean, your father was a public figure of sorts because he was an officer. He was a police officer. And then he was in the news, good and bad. Like, <laughs> so it was like, it was all type of shit. So where it's like, I've ran into people that, like, I've been in certain neighborhoods and almost got into a fist fight because my father arrested somebody. Or I've been in situations where, like, somebody be looking at me funny because at the end of the day, I'm a rapper now. My record is clean. But everybody else in my profession is not the same way. Yeah. So I've been in that situation where motherfuckers look, look at me twice like, you look familiar. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, eh-eh. Like, so, <laughs> that, that's where it was like, that's where for the people that know when I started the journey, it was Deuce at first because I'm Alvin the second. So I didn't want, I just started to slowly separate myself from that once I turned like 18, 19. And then from there, that's when it just gradually turned into it. But... I mean, once you hit 30 and once you realize that that man and his actions is his own and you and what you built in the in your 20s has surpassed that in your life, you're good. And, you know, let's let's take it back a little bit because, you know, before Princinati, there was there was Deuce. And, you know, for me, I remember seeing where rapping wasn't even like your focus. It was more something you got into with your cousins. God bless the dead. Chaz. And, 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 you know, shout out to Cordero, but th- they were going to be the rappers. You more or less were behind the scenes. You know, you were, you were, you were, you know, wanting to help push them and propel them to the forefront. And you were going to handle more of the administrative. Take us through that in the transition into what led you becoming, you know, the artist. Well, Cordero always wanted us to rap. He wanted us to rap. But Chaz was the one that actually convinced me to write a verse seriously. Like, I remember we was in Indianapolis, and for the people that know us, our grandmother lived in Indianapolis. So, we was up there, and one day we was writing to, was it Young Gun to set it off? Young Gun, it's time to set it off. We wrote wrote to that. (laughs) And then Chaz was like, you'll be all right. And I was like, meh. Like, we teenagers, so I'm like, meh. Oh, I guess, whatever. Which, for the record, everybody had rap dreams in junior high, so... Right, so now this is... You've transcended, you know, the time yeah, we yeah, all yeah, thought we yeah. could be rappers. Yeah, and then, because I seen something. I think I, I was up in Love and Hip Hop a couple years ago, and then they was talking to Mendeecee Harris, and he was like, everybody got a verse. He was like, everybody got a verse in the tub. So from there... I just always, you know, I, I checked one on deck, but it wasn't like a situation where I was just writing seriously until Chaz got me to write that verse. And then after I wrote that, I wrote a couple more things, but then unfortunately for the people that know me as well, Chaz passed away. So from there, the motivation and the focus was just for my closeness to him after he passed, it was like I felt closer to him at the more I was writing. Like I went through a crazy writing surge that summer when he passed. And then from there, that's when I just started taking it forward. And then it was like me and Cordero went our separate ways to where he still does his thing and I do mine, but it was like, I just ran with it. And then it was just like, I always thought the further I go and the more that I, you know, and then at the time he, he was killed and it was a senseless, it was a senseless murder and things like that. So 
it was just like to keep more awareness, to keep his name alive and to keep his memory, I just kept going. And that's what really transformed me into doing this, like, I guess, full time. Yeah, and you know it's interesting, man. It feels like a minute of of talking about Chaz doesn't fully encapsulate, you know, his impact on your life. Um, man, so grateful to know that I had the chance to be able to just kick it with him and get to know him. And, um, you know, I think there's times I do stop every July, and it's like, you know, this July will mark 13 years. Since his uh, his untimely passing, and you know, obviously on a on a global scale, we just had the tragedy of Kobe Bryant's passing. But you know, the the next two, when you talk about moments, just personally for me, seminal moments that stand out where you remember time and place. Um, I go back to you know Chaz and and that situation and where I was the moment you called me when it all happened. Um, when you had just gotten, I believe, to University Hospital, and I'm in a car driving from, making my way back to Cincinnati, but at the time, I'm in Queens, New York, driving back with my ex-girlfriend, and, you know, before Chaz's passing, I would have to go back to my grandmother's passing on October 1st, 2004, and so, you know, you know, obviously, I just wanted to make sure we put Chaz in the proper context of knowing his impact, uh, and how, I mean, even to this day, I still feel like you know, he's that battery in your back. And, oh, sure. and, and, you know, it's, you know, so that's why with every checkpoint you reach as you continue to ascend in your career, you know, I view everything as a celebration and I view everything as, as a necessity for me to be there because I feel like those are those moments where I feel him the most in those moments. Right. You know what right. I mean? And so I just wanted to briefly touch on that, but you know, speaking to, you know, what eventually propelled you, you know, you even uh, take us through some of the early, early times of your career where you were really making a name for yourself back in the city, back home in Cincinnati. What what certain things did you experience? Um, I mean, just in regards to honestly, I'm not the most celebrated person. I'm not the most celebrated artist, but it's like. In a lot of cases, people see the things I've accomplished as a lot as like the top. Like I've done every stage. If you count any open mic from the from the Mad Frogs, but like uh, you mentioned, Nelly, we did like we've done like you know what I'm saying like the Cardi B's, the Rick Rosses, Futures, Jeezy's, like the ra- like the radio stations love what we've done. So it's I mean, so these are all artists you've opened for and performed with. Yeah, like these, like it's always been like, like I said, multiple arena dates, like multiple radio stations, like shout out to Kid Chris, like for people that know, like he, it's a rock station, like, but he made a way to support me, like, so I've done my fair share of work, uh, like I said, I've been like every, I try to show love to every producer, every photographer, like at some point I've done work with them to where it's like a lot of people give me that respect and I appreciate them because this is the year where they championed me to make it make sense. This is the year that I make them a genius. Mm. Like, there was like where they was on it early, where it seemed like they was on it early. But, I mean, that was where it, it, it's like, and then it's, I guess it was like, it actually got more synonymous after I moved because it was like, the work continued. Like, I moved in 2013. A lot of people, <laughs> I was talking to a, uh, another artist, uh, shout out to Just Clay. 
he was like, what you doing in Atlanta? I was like, you know, I've been here, right? He was like, for how long? I was like, bro, every time I see you, I'm visiting Cincinnati. Like, I don't live there anymore. Because I didn't feel the need to necessarily lay my head somewhere. Because it's like, it's hard for me to change my, to change the environment that I was in if I'm still in it. So that's why I had to make those moves. But the work and the accomplishments are crazy if you just look at, you know, like, this is something that, you know, me and you started playing around with when we was in the eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of days over summer vacation spent on the phone writing classics that the world will never hear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and what's really cool is as I came into my own right now, and, and you know this as well as anybody, I mean, for anybody who knows me, my barometers are you and my my other brother Matt Tama Michael and what he's doing with corporate and shout out to Meezy he was on here shout a few few episodes ago and you know for all of us I mean this started in seventh grade you know when we all kind of hit this moment we was all twelve years old and then we all came from different environments but we all linked up in that same seventh grade exactly and it was just like well we like us all being different different backgrounds we all still knew that it was gonna be something that was gonna push us forward. Because it was like we were different than anybody else in the school. And it's funny because I see you as an artist and, and entertainer right now, and it's fitting to your personality because you've never been shy about attention. You've always embraced it. And I see what Matt's doing as he's built corporate and continues to pull that brand to completely different heights. And, you know, it makes the sense because he was the person you would walk into his room in the wall. I mean, his room was lined with shoe boxes. He was a fanatic. And as I'm now coming into real estate and, and furthermore making it more admission-based as I ingrain myself further in the community, you know, it doesn't feel foreign. It doesn't feel uncomfortable. In fact, it feels right. And, you know, I recognize that in these respective fields, you know, there's so many different ways to skin a cat. You got to find whatever works best for you. So for you, you know, do you see the benefit of needing a label or do you just continue to push and propel yourself because you are the brand, you are the face, there's no need for additional backing or any type of manufacturing to help package who you are? I mean, I, I always felt, can't nobody tell me better than me. Um, like you mentioned, Matt, like me and him was in the same marketing class and I excelled then. It was just, I remember going, once we went to college, I didn't feel like I was learning anything in regards to like that. I, maybe that was a teacher. But mm -hmm. like, you know, me and him came from that school. So with him, he sold what he knew best. Shoes. Mm -hmm. Me, it wasn't necessarily about selling shoes, but just getting out myself as the product. So it was like, I, like don't get it twisted. I'm not going to say a label. A team is necessary. Because there are certain things that I can't do myself as much as I try. Mm -hmm. Like, there, I can't be in 14 different places. I can't make every phone call. I can't physically. Like, and one of my big homies told me that recently. Like, you're doing things that you shouldn't be. And I was like, well, the message isn't already displayed all the way displayed the same way. Because if I come with the idea. So a team is necessary. A label, per se, if if you have the, the structure set up, that can be you. Like, that doesn't necessarily have to be the label, but I get why people do it, and I get why for some people it's necessary, because they might not have the avenues and 
that platform might not be big enough. So it's like, if it makes sense for you, then that's cool. But the team is necessary. It just depends on who is a part of that team. Right. Now, how long would you say you've dedicated, like fully committed yourself to rap? Eight years. Eight years. And obviously nothing ever happens overnight. What were some of the moments where you felt either your confidence was wavering or your commitment was wavering? And what did you do I, to ultimately overcome that? I mean, that happened to me last week. Like, yeah, that, it, <laughs> the bigger the moves, the, once you realize, the harder it is. Because it's like, the, because the more you go, the bigger you should do things. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when I started, I was giving my CDs away on Walmart, on Walgreens, five packs. Mm. You have to progress. So it's like, okay, now we got... You know, uh, we got streaming, but it was like before I had to end up. I had to progress to getting the CDs printed, getting not just five. I went from five CDs to twenty, twenty to a hundred, a hundred to okay. I got to get a thousand pressed up. So that that's the more money involved in those things. So it's like now, if you look fast forward to twenty twenty, and I'm trying to change a culture in a region. That's when it get real. That's when we had the conversation that you and I had the other day. Like, we putting up thousands of thousands of dollars, and that still ain't enough. Like, yeah. that's when you have the, you we were talking about the sponsorship situations and what we can do with different businesses because it's not just about that. Because at the end of the day, it's like, it's only so much I can bring out of my own pocket. Like, I got a two-year-old. Like, it's only so yeah. much. Like, and it's like, I've already gonna put up a couple grand into the situation you and I was talking about. I'm going to announce it March 2nd. Okay. But I've already, but I already put a couple grand into that. Like, all, like before I said a word to you. So it's like, from there, it's like, all right, the execution of it going to take more. So that, so it's like, you you catch that, damn, can I, can I do this? Or I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do this. You catch that. Yeah, definitely. Or it's like, even when it's like, you're the only person that believes in the idea because it came to you. Sometimes you got to do it for yourself to know that you was right. And that's been most of my career. So it's like, you have those in entrepreneurship, you have that often where it's like, damn, can I pull this off? And then when you pull it off, you look back like, damn, why did I even doubt myself? So what would you consider uh, success for you? Success for me is to be able is to be able to, if I chose, be printing at one hundred percent of the time. Okay. So basically, and, be able to be paid and make a living off of I, what you're passionate about. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like the biggest millions and shit like that because my lifestyle I live now is pretty good. Like I can't complain. Like mm-hmm. I can never complain about like if for for the people that live my life and have the job that I have. Like at the end of the day, I have a job currently. Like, my life is pretty good. Like, I work for what I want. I buy what I want. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, like you know, like, just, like, I've always been, like, I've always been the same individual as, so it's like, when people see my life, that's funded all by my job, which is not an issue. If I could replace a little more of, but primarily that same income and just focus on what I love, which is music and selling and putting together events and help and helping the, the culture, which is, Hip hop and Midwest hip hop. If I could do that, making the same bread, I would clearly that that's success for me. And you know, it's different because you know I, I think about 
how people maneuver now and obviously everybody's words are being parsed and everything's under a microscope. See, for me, it's easy because I can throw a flyer up, a sock drive for the homeless, you know, throw a couple minute, a minute clip up. You know, for you, you constantly are in front of the camera. You constantly have a microphone in your face. You know, is there a concern ever of of you want your conversations to be organic because it allows for you to come across as yourself and more human and relatable. But, you know, is there ever anything in the back of your mind where you're trying to walk that fine line of not offending or alienating a certain group with something you say? Okay. Because in in most cases, if I'm making a comment, I don't. I very rarely talk about things I don't know. So, um, a lot of people get in trouble when they when they talk about a topic that they're not the most adverse to, or people get in trouble when they're trying to make a splash. That's never been me. Like musically I only do what I'm what makes sense to me. Like like and I'm not even gonna say comfortable because that's that's staying in a certain lane. But it has to make sense to me. In regards to something I talk about, it's like I make sure that it's something I know or I'm not just coming out my mouth or something. And then even if it's something I might I might misquote, I'm not afraid to be like, Oh, I fucked that up. Like it's not a like you know what I'm saying, like I'll come like me and you've had conversations where I've been like, yo, did I really did I do that wrong? Or did I say that wrong? Or I go to my girl and say the same shit. Or I go to, I'll be like, if I mess that up, then cool. I'll eventually double back and say, yeah, I was wrong for that. So it's not like it's nothing I'm afraid of because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be perfect anyway. But that's the thing. I want you to buy, I want the people that rock with me buy into my ups and my downs. But I'm very self-aware. So it's not like a situation where I'm scared to mess up or scared to say the wrong thing or offend anybody. Because I've, I've offended a few people in my life, and I'm still working, so it's not the biggest deal. But they respected it, and I, I went to them in the right way, so. Respect, man. Before before I let you go, man, what's one thing you can speak on that you're trying to speak into existence for 2020? Oh, um, we're talking about the album. Um, I'm, we, we're debating, but it's probably still going to be with the title of Steve Dating. Um, that's July 10th. July 10th, uh, and then obviously we were talking about it. Chad's birthday is July 12th. So that whole weekend, I'm working. I got a lot planned. Like I said, the announcement for everything going on is March 2nd. But uh, yeah, the album, July 10th. We putting the finishing touches on everything now. Got you, man. Well, obviously, man, you know you always got a home here, man. And we'll definitely be chopping it up come July time and in the buildup and anticipation of the release and the celebration as well, bro. I appreciate you coming on, man, and making the time, man. Where can everybody find you? Everything is at PrinceNatty, PrinceNatty.com. Wherever you get your music, search PrinceNatty. Absolutely, man. Well, first and foremost, before we get out of here, shout out to Chase Manhattan. Got to get a shout out to the good brother, man. And... You know, bro, um, I I don't even like the term I'm proud because proud comes from, I don't know, it has a weird connotation with me, man. But, man, seeing you thrive, man, it's it's inspiring, bro. So I I continue to stay tuned, bro, and I'm grateful for the bird's eye view that I get, man. But much success to you, brother. I always appreciate it, brother. Definitely do. All right, man. Love, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and comment on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to check out my brother at Prince and Addy everywhere. 
And uh, as always, be good to one another. Bye. Dream. I sell it.